Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zipline through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. American soccer fans, welcome to episode 111 of the USA Soccer Cast. We are bringing you everything about the U.S. national teams, the players, the leagues, and everything else that impacts the game of soccer in these United States. I'm Donald Wine. It's June 20th, 2023. I hope the dads out there had a happy Father's Day. I hope everyone was able to commemorate Juneteenth, which was yesterday. It's a very important day in this country, not just for African Americans, but it needs to be important for all Americans. And so I hope you all did the day justice. I am back from Las Vegas, where, of course, the CONCACAF Nations League finals took place over the last few days. And the United States hang on to the Nations League trophy. They are still the only country to lift the Nations League trophy. They do so by defeating Mexico and defeating Canada in the semifinal and final to once again claim this awesome, awesome trophy for this amazing tournament. Let's go through that because within that, there's an obviously another thing we are going to talk about, and that is the United States has a new head coach, the same as the old head coach. But we'll get to that later. Let's talk about the Nations League. Entering the Nations League, the U.S. was first in the in this team in this block of four teams that were competing. The U.S. took on Mexico, and Panama took on Canada in the semifinal. Now. Canada made easy work of Panama, winning 2-0 to advance to the final. But in the nightcap was one of the most eventful games I have ever witnessed. The United States taking on Mexico. 
sold out crowd at Allegiant Stadium. And it was a barn burner, both on the field and in the stands. The United States, though, absolutely dominated Mexico. And if you're an American fan, this victory, a 3-0 victory with two goals by Christian Pulisic and a third goal by Ricardo Pepe that was held up, actually given upon VAR, this performance was as dominant performance as I've seen from this team in a long time in a USA-Mexico game. We talk about the Dos Aceros, and a lot of those Dos Aceros are still nail-biters, but that scoreline still held. Well, this scoreline, it was Dos Acero in the 47th minute of this game, and it felt like the U.S. could have put several more in the back of the net. And in the case of Mexico, it, it felt like Mexico, at least at least their fans did, but it felt like the guys on the field kind of quit towards the end there and decided they were going to make this game into an ugly affair. And their fans also reciprocated. We will get to that in a second. But looking at this team and, and how and how the U.S. played against Mexico, you have to give everybody on that field and the coaching staff a ton of credit for how they played. It was amazing. It was fun to be there. It was fun to watch. We don't get a lot of these games where you feel comfortable. And we definitely don't get a lot of those games where you feel comfortable when it's USA-Mexico. The biggest rivalry in this region, one of the biggest rivalries in soccer on this planet. But the United States came out and it was clear from the get-go that they wanted to establish the the routine, the, the tempo, and they wanted to show Mexico that there was no doubt who was the Kings of CONCACAF. And they did that. It was absolutely fun to watch. Christian Pulisic was on another planet. When it came to his play, he performed exceptionally on the night. Again, two goals for him and could have had a couple more before he was subbed off. This is what you want to see from, you know, the guy who is who is arguably your best player, the guy who is the face of this team, or at least one of the faces of this team. And he delivered. In games where you kind of see Christian Pulisic rise to the occasion, you see him take on another element to his game, and that was apparent on Thursday night against Mexico. He wanted to destroy them. Every guy on that field had moments where they, it seemed like they looked right at a Mexican defender and said, I'm going to end your day. And they did. It was a clinical destruction of one of the pillars of CONCACAF in USA just absolutely demoralizing Mexico to the point where they eventually fired their coach because this is unacceptable to them, but it was very acceptable for me to see this game three, nothing by the United States. Again, Ricardo Pepe comes off the bench. Balogun starts the game. I thought he did well. I thought he put in a great shift, did not score a goal in this game, but his replacement Ricardo Pepe comes on and he scores a goal. Gotta love that. And, the way that he was able to score where he absolutely made Memo Ochoa just be out there in ice skates. It was amazing. And again, these guys look like they were having fun with this part of the game. Now, there were parts of this game that were ugly. As the game moved on, it got kind of chippy. I won't say kind of, it got chippy on the field and in the stands as well. The Mexican fans serenaded their own team first off by booing 
every single time they touched the ball after they went down Dos Cicero. And then once they went down Trey Cicero, they started at first doing the ole whenever the United States was passing the ball, keeping it away from their own team. But then it turned ugly. And as we've seen on many occasions before, the Mexican fans retorted to their chant, their homophobic slur chant. In an effort, I, I don't know if it was to try and end the game early or if it was just to make a statement or whatever it was, but it was very, very uncool. It was terrible. And I don't know what needs to happen next. But I do know this. CONCACAF needs to do something. There was at least eight or nine instances where the chant was should have been audible at home. But officially, they only made it to step one of their process. And now there's, for CONCACAF, they have a, a three-step process, which first starts with two warnings. But then you go to step one, where if the chant is done, they stop play for three minutes, they read the statement on the board, and then they continue play. The second instance is supposed to be 10 minutes where they sit in the middle of the field. Again, they continue to do the announcements, and it's up to the ref at that point if he wants to continue play. And then the third instance, the game should be abandoned. We only made it to step one. And what was ironic about it is that it felt like even the referee turned a blind eye to a lot of these chants that they were doing. There was maybe four or five in stoppage time alone, which was 12 minutes, by the way, that included the three minutes that had already been stopped before for the chant. There was four or five instances in stoppage time where this happened. And on the fourth instance, they considered that step two and the ref decided to abandon the match or at least to end the match seven minutes early. And I don't know if they thought they were doing something with that, but they weren't. CONCACAF needs to do something more drastic, more harsh than that, because it was abysmal. It should not happen. They've been told repeatedly not to do it, but yet they insist. And now needs to be the opportunity for CONCACAF to say, look, y'all can't play games if you're going to do this. The United States can say, y'all can't play here in the United States. CONCACAF should make them forfeit games, make them the, the sanctions and the fines or whatever. None of that, none of that really affects them. Taking them out of tournaments, that's what's going to affect them. They shouldn't have been able to play the game on Sunday. They should have been able made to forfeit that game. They should be made to have games behind closed doors. They should be made to make it where they have to play those games behind closed doors and they can't you know, do it where they're playing in the United States or anything like that to try and avoid it. I know there was an instance where they tried to even make their women's team play behind closed doors in an effort to satisfy a closed door ban. They they need to make it where they can't get around that. And FIFA and the Court of Arbitration for Sport, who have also turned a blind eye in ways to this, they need to come down harsh on them too. We just saw that Nicaragua got banned from the Gold Cup or at least kicked out of the Gold Cup and relegated to League B of Nations League for fielding an ineligible player. At minimum, that should be considered for Mexico. At minimum. Because this can't happen again. And the fact that it continues to happen and all CONCACAF can do is put out statements about it, it, it we, can't, we can't keep 
writing. We're out of paper. We need them to go ahead and start the harsh penalties, the ones that matter. Hit the pocketbooks, hit the standings, hit their record, and also make it where they can't have the privilege of playing in some of the big tournaments. Now, that could mean Copa America. That could mean taking away their hosting rights for the World Cup. Whatever that means, CONCACAF needs to do it. And they need to do it now. Because of that, it kind of put a a stain on that particular game. And again, from the field standpoint, from a performance standpoint, the United States dominated. But it was very much overshadowed in many ways by the excessive chanting that Mexico was doing on the day. And there were red cards on the field that also contributed to kind of riling up this fan base into doing some of these things. What's McKinney get a red card for retaliation because he was attacked. Sergio Dest got a red card because he was attacked by these players. And the players are basically saying, Hey, if we're going to go out, we're going to take some of their best players out with us. And they did. And I, Weston McKinney apologized to the team afterwards. I know Sergio Dest was remorseful as well. And they understand that they can't do what they did. But as I said, in the stands to a lot of people, I understand because they were getting attacked and kudos to the players for having their back for it felt like those guys were standing up for one another. They were backing each other up and the team responded every single time that happened with terrific play. And while it wasn't ideal to have McKinney and Dest on the bench for the final Again, I understand it's hard to control your emotions in that moment, especially when people are putting hands in your throat, hands in your face. It's hard to be the bigger man in that picture, especially when you've had to do it all game. And in the end, they knew that their team had their back, and it it very much felt like they did. And so from there, I progressed to the CONCACAF Nations League final against Canada, the team that thinks they are the kings of CONCACAF. Because they won World Cup qualifying, they have this belief that they are the best team in this region. Meanwhile, all the trophies are hanging out at U.S. soccer headquarters. And this was one that Canada wanted. This was one to kind of validate what they were saying, to kind of back up their beliefs. After a terrible World Cup where they were the second worst team in the tournament, they want to come back and make a statement that, hey, yes, that was not an aberration in 2021 and 2022. We are the best team in the region. Thankfully for us, the U.S. had other plans. It was a a zero victory for the United States. Two to nothing. Chris Richards, with his first goal, in the men's national team uniform. And Ballo. Fuller and Balogun. He opens up his account for the United States with a goal to seal it. And both of those coming in the first half. And let me tell you, Canada didn't feel like they ever came close. Throughout the entire game, the defense was on point. Matt Turner, best goalkeeper in the tournament, won the award there. He was amazing. But it also felt like he didn't have to do much. And in both instances, in both games against Mexico and Canada, for those of us in the stands and maybe for some of you at home, it felt comfortable, eerily comfortable. And 
that was what was fun about this performance and what made it so dominating. The Nation, the Nations League best eleven is full of Americans. Christian Pulisic, who also wins best player of the tournament, Balogun, Gio Reyna, who had an amazing tournament, Yunus Musa, amazing tournament, Chris Richards, an amazing tournament, Matt Turner again wins best goalkeeper. Tim Weah should have been on there, in my opinion. Anthony Robinson should also have been on there, in my opinion. But everybody who played in these games, almost everybody put in a shift, even down to the coach, B.J. Callahan. Let me take a couple minutes to talk about B.J. Callahan. B.J., in his first two games as a head coach at any level, only beat Mexico 3 to nothing and Canada 2 to nothing to claim a continental championship. That man's going places. And he did it by just letting the guys play. And now we're going to talk a lot about the future of the coaching staff. But at least for a weekend, BJ Callahan is on top of the world. And he should be. Because he coached brilliantly against two North American rivals. And did so in dominating fashion. He outcoached his opponents and Diego Coca, and John Herdman. And for him being an interim that found out he was the interim two weeks ago, (laughs) that is incredible. And I want to show him love because that's hard to do. I know two weeks ago people were like, yo, what is going on? We're losing Anthony Hudson. We have a new interim head coach. He's never coached at any level. What is the saying about U.S. soccer that we are you know, having this two weeks before the Nations League, where, we, again, we want to defend the title and hold on to it. And B.J. Callahan settled all that to the point where people are like, yo, let's keep him around. And I'm very, very happy for him for that. Meeting him in Grenada and getting to know him a little bit, just like his style and his thought process behind being part of this job. He He told us that day that he will work his butt off for this job until they call him into the office and tell him that he doesn't need to do it anymore. And that was very, very clear during this tournament. He had this team ready. He made the adjustments necessary. He kept them moving forward. And it felt like the guys responded. And because of that, BJ Callahan has a winner's medal as a head coach of the United States men's national team. Congratulations to him. Congratulations to everybody on the coaching staff and to all the players who made this possible. This was starting from last fall when we had group play last last summer when we had group play to now all the players, all the coaches that were involved in that journey led to this moment where we got to see some epic celebrations. Weston McKinney jumping into the stand celebrating the guys having an epic locker room celebration filled with lots of alcoholic drinks and apparently even some raising canes, uh, chicken fingers, and sauce. Um, we might need to clean the trophy after this week, but it is great that it's going to stay in the United States. I am so happy again. This is my favorite tournament because of the fact you get to go to islands. You get to experience this. And it's clear to the players that it's important to them. So I hope for the fans, they appreciate this as well. Uh, and I hope you got your shirts and your championship shirts because – This is something that I want to continue to hold on to for the rest of time. So let's take a break. That was a lot. But on the other side, the United States men's national team has a new coach, 
Again, the same as the old coach. Greg Berhalter's return will be discussed after this. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We are back, and in case you have been living under a rock the last couple of days, the United States men's national team has finally hired a permanent head coach. And that permanent head coach is the same guy that was the last permanent head coach. I'm talking about Greg Berhalter. Greg Berhalter, after six months away from the national team, returns to the national team and will take over as the new permanent head coach, or at least continue as the permanent head coach, after the conclusion of the Gold Cup. BJ Callahan is going to coach a team throughout the Gold Cup. And then after that, Greg Berhalter resumes his post as men's national team head coach. And I want to start off with the process. At least the process of how we found out that Greg Berhalter was coming back. I'm going to take you back to last Thursday. I'm in the stands ready to watch the United States take on Mexico kickoff. It is about to happen. And, and the co-founder of the American outlaws, of course, Justin, good friend of mine. He is at the Denver airport and lo and behold, who does he see when he's on a layover on his way home from work? None other than Greg Berhalter ready to board his flight to Las Vegas. So he sends a picture to us and says, hey, look who I saw at the airport. He's boarding a flight to Vegas. And as we go, I mean, we're three minutes into the game. 
what's Greg doing coming to Vegas? He should be already here if he's going to watch the team as a fan. Then comes the report by Paul Tenorio and Pablo Mar from The Athletic that Greg Berhalter is set to be rehired as the men's national team head coach. It was made official on uh, Friday, the, the day after the game. And I think there was a lot of shock at first in the stands, not necessarily because of the hire, but when it dropped. Because it dropped during the biggest game in CONCACAF. I don't know why it happened to occur during that moment, but could have been a better time. This is a big, big story. And I think when it comes to the fans, the fans are very conflicted because they had to concentrate on the game and the news at the same time. And for people in the stands, I, it was just a whirlwind. It, that whole first half, even though we scored, felt like it took 10 hours because everything seemed to be happening at once and we couldn't concentrate on more than one thing at a time. But extrapolating and going back to the whole process, a lot of people have questions. And it starts with, of course, in late December, uh, December 31st, 2022, Greg Berhalter's contract expires. And at that time, January 1st or 2nd, we learn about the investigation that U.S. Soccer has made into Greg Berhalter's past, which we've chronicled on this show and the whole Renegade. So I'm not going to stick you with the details of those because everyone at this point knows that. But Greg Berhalter was throughout this entire time considered to still be a candidate to be retained as men's national team head coach. Then we have the loss of Brian McBride, who leaves as the men's national team general manager. And then we also have the departure of Ernie Stewart, who was the U.S. soccer sporting director. So the priority for U.S. soccer was to hire a new sporting director. And they did so just a few weeks ago. And his name is Matt Cracker. And the where the where the timeline comes into play is at throughout this whole time, the last couple of weeks that Crocker has been in charge, he has mentioned that U.S. Soccer's priority was to hire a coach around the you know beginning of August, which is when he officially takes over as sporting director. But also, it's after the Gold Cup, after Nations League. So, of course, it was a shock when people saw that Greg Berhalter was going to take over at Club America just a week ago. And it went very quickly from he's going to officially be announced as Club America's head coach to 24 hours later, he is the new men's national team head coach. And I think there's some questions here that I, at least that I have. The first one is how do we advance so far in the prog in the process? And what did that process entail? Matt Crocker mentioned that there was a lot of data that got went into, you know, breaking down who the best candidates were bringing in guys for interviews and also, uh, Greg Berhalter also mentioned there was a lot of testing at the interviews. A lot of people that he met with, a lot of tests, cognitive and what what have you, that happened. And I believe it was Doug McIntyre of Fox Sports had mentioned that there was about 10 candidates that were in that initial pool that they contacted. And that was, again, that report was only a week ago. But my issue is, who were those candidates? And did, for me... 
were there any coaches of color interviewed in compliance with U.S. Soccer's DEIB initiatives? The reason why I say that is because traditionally, when you hear about data, analysis, cognitive testing, a lot of that is skewed away from people of color. And I'm not and I'm suggesting that it is in this case, but it leads to the question of how they arrived at Greg Berhalter over some of the other suggested candidates. There was an outside firm that was hired for the sporting director position to kind of get candidates. And also they were made to pull down some of the candidates for men's national team head coach so that when Crocker took over, he didn't have to start from scratch. And it's clear that we need to understand how much of this list was called by Matt Crocker or how much of it was called by this outside firm that was assuming control of the uh, the initial search before the sporting director was hired. And so it, it rubs me the wrong way that we don't have any answers on that front. And again, I'm not suggesting anything foul, but those are things that need to be addressed because those are things that they have put forth as a federation that says, we this is our priority. This is important to us. And we are going to maintain and abide by these initiatives. So it, it, I didn't get a chance to ask this in the press conference, but they did not answer to the fact that, Hey, we interviewed X amount of candidates. Here's how we narrowed down the process. It was very generic, uh, generic and broad and vague with their answers. So that part runs me the wrong way. Again, you could get to Greg Berhalter at that point and that's fine. I just want to know more about that process. I think a lot of people have an issue taking the, the final candidate side. They have an issue with, we waited seven months or six months to go back to the same guy. And it harkens back to when we first had hired Greg Berhalter back in 2018, late 2018, we waited over a year to hire him while he was coaching at Columbus Crew. And most people said, oh, so his contract could run out. This, this is the United States men's national team. We could buy out contracts, especially if someone is coaching. And I get that there was an opportunity to try and you know, nail down a coach before some of the clubs got some of these candidates. But if it was going to be Greg all along, I felt like they should have just said that. And if it wasn't going to be him and he won out over these candidates, then we need to, again, need to know more about how that process detailed and how we ended up with Greg again. Now, there's also the investigation. And despite the fact that the investigation did yield that Greg Berhalter was, quote, hireable, U.S. soccer did not address the biggest elephant in the room in that Greg Berhalter is somebody who 30 years ago had a domestic incident with his now wife. We Again, we're not going to go over the details of it, but that is still something that happened. That's still something that's on his record. And U.S. soccer needs to understand that the optics of hiring Greg Berhalter in that moment for some people is a little bit bad because you are saying that incident is okay. 
And I'm here not to suggest that, but I'm here to say that other people are saying U.S. soccer has the optics of if you get into a domestic incident with a woman, as long as everyone's okay with it and they, everyone's forgiven, then you are hireable again. You are someone that can that we can overlook that portion of your character or your history to rehire you. And that's something they need to explain as well. There's also, of course, the relationships. There's a lot of guys on this team that just won the Nations League, don't have the best relationship with Greg Berhalter. We've heard about a lot of the players that do, but Gio Reyna is on this team. That needs to be addressed ASAP. Ricardo Pepe, I know he said that it's water under the bridge and that it's a new it's a new day where all the all the negative stuff is in the past and we can move forward. But again, you're gonna have to talk to him. Zach Steffen, you're gonna have to talk to him. But Gio Reyna, who is many consider one of the most important players on this team, that is a big, big, big elephant that you need to just get out of the room. And you need to address that quickly and come to a resolution so that. Everyone is on the same page moving forward. Of course, the the relationship between those two families is permanently strained, but that doesn't mean that we can't move forward professionally. But to do that, you need to talk. And I know he said he didn't want to talk to him, at least initially. He wanted to wait until later in summer. But people need to understand what that was like and how we're going to get that solved. That needs to be somewhat public. Not the necessarily details of what is discussed, but hey, how am I going to approach this? Greg Berhalter needs to understand that that might need to be a little bit more uh, of a transparent process than he would like in a situation like this. And then for a lot of people, and this is where I differ with a lot of people, most people just hate Greg. For whatever reason, they have it in their mind that Greg Berhalter is a terrible coach. I'm going to let you guys know right now. I thought Greg Berhalter did a fine job for the United States men's national team. He did exactly what he was supposed to do. Every single trophy he was supposed to win, he won. And don't say he didn't win the World Cup. That was not something we were supposed to win, but that was definitely something we were supposed to get out of the group and compete in, and that we did. He did every accomplishment that we were supposed to have for him. He won the Nations League. He won the Gold Cup. He got us back to the World Cup. He got us out of the group at the World Cup. And we just had one bad day against the Netherlands, against the team that is if just as good, if not better than us. But at the end of the day, my feeling is that when we have a two-term head coach for the men's national team, it doesn't work out very well in the second term. And I just have the, just the, the backup evidence of, Bruce Arena, Jurgen Klinsmann, Bob Bradley, Bruce Arena again. Um, those guys who stayed more than four years, that second term and Bruce's case, the third term, didn't turn out quite so well. And you don't have to agree with me on that. And you can say, I don't like Greg Berhalter for other reasons. But for me, I actually do think Greg is a good coach. Did I want him to lead this team? Not necessarily, but I have no doubt about the qualities and and the capabilities that he can do. Now, the other thing about people who don't like Greg is they don't know who they want. 
They just know who they don't want. If you ask 100 people who didn't want Greg to be head coach, who they actually wanted, probably get 90 to 95 different answers. And I think most people were so focused on not wanting Greg back, they didn't know who they actually wanted. And the people who who were saying stuff were saying asinine stuff. Like, you know, Pep Guardiola, guys, Pep's not coming. Jose Mourinho's not coming. But at the end of the day, we want to know what that process is like. If they consider different styles, different coaches, different coaching philosophies, you know, the big names, the the unknown, unproven stars. Like, who who do we discuss here before we ended up essentially with the same guy. And I think those things over the course of the next few weeks need to kind of be addressed. And I don't say that in a negative way, but it is, you know, people want to know, especially given how the process, uh, how people didn't like the process the last time we had uh, hired Greg Berhalter, people want to understand that this process was better and they need to understand what went into it to say, Hey, we may have, you may have liked all these guys, but Greg Burhalter outshine them in these categories. We need to understand what that's like. So there's a lot when it comes to Greg Burhalter as the next and the you know continuing as the men's national team head coach. But it made for a wild weekend because wow, look, you have that drop during USA Mexico in the middle of the Nations League. You say you're not trying to distract the players, but of course this news hits the wire. It becomes official. And then you're saying that he's not even going to coach the Gold Cup. So now it hangs over the head of BJ Callahan and the current coaching staff throughout the Gold Cup as well. And now people are saying they want BJ Callahan as a coach over Greg Berhalter. And now you have that faction of people. So it's creating more and more of a distraction. For me, I would have let him, Greg Berhalter, coach the Gold Cup. That would have been me. If you're going to hire a coach, you hire him. And if you're not going to, if you're not going to have him coach, then you can wait on that news. Unless again, if he was going to be a coach somewhere else, then again, you need to make you to say what your priority is, right? Like if you want the coach so bad, then bring him on and get him started right now. At least put him on the coaching staff so he can sit on the bench and evaluate the players that he's going to be coaching for the next three and a half years. And you need to make clear what your priorities are. Getting to qualify for Copa America, of course, win the Gold Cup, win the Nations League, and then what are our priorities for the World Cup that we are hosting in three years? Is it to win the whole thing? Is it to get to the semifinal, the quarterfinal? What does success mean for the United States in a World Cup that they are hosting? That needs to be made clear as well so that we understand what the bar is. And if the bar is just to get out of the group, then most people go, okay, yeah, Greg has proven they can do that. But I think that's where a lot of people are saying, because a lot of people have big, big aspirations for 2026 and they don't feel like Greg can get us there. And you have to understand, you have to make us understand why. At least you have to explain what your thought process is. And so that's all we're really asking, at least for a, a lot of the rational ones. Take the irrational and put them off to the side. But the rational people are just asking, what is the plan here? And how does Greg Berhalter get us there with these group of players? And what's the plan for moving forward beyond 2026? A lot of things that U.S. soccer needs to think about is beyond this next World Cup. Because 
we need to set up where this is a sustainable legacy that we are creating. So I think we've talked enough about Greg. Of course, we're going to probably hear more in the coming weeks and months, but really we have to focus on the gold cup on the women's side. As we record on Tuesday, June 20th, tomorrow, the United States women's national teams, women's world cup roster is being released. We will discuss that on the next episode of this podcast, but that will do it for episode 111 of the USA soccer cast. So thank you so much for listening. Remember, follow us on Twitter. We're at USA soccer cast. Don't forget. We have an affiliate program with homage breaking tea fanatics and MLS store. So head to our link tree, head to USA soccercast.podbean.com. Learn more, support the show while you get the latest gear. And as we get ready for the Gold Cup, as we get ready for the Women's World Cup, I know you're going to be buying stuff. You can save money while you do, while you support this show. And please send us some topic suggestions as we move forward. You can email them to usasoccercast at gmail.com or you can tag us on Twitter. So we will talk to you again tomorrow when we discuss the Women's World Cup. So until then, peace.